0: After we are born again, I believe most of us go to church and we never even think of anything being taught wrongly at our church. Often we have pridefully selected that church because we think it's the only one teaching the truth. But as we continue to attend that church group from time to time the pastor or another minister or someone in the congregation says something that shocks us and troubles us I suspect you've had that happen to yourself you just think you're wrong And you try to go along with them, but you're never really settled on the doctrine. Because the spirit of truth lives in us when we are born again. And the spirit of truth will not accept anything but truth. A long-time Catholic woman told me this story. She said at one point, they sent them a new priest. And she said, I just couldn't call that man Father. I wasn't aware of anything he was doing wrong, but I couldn't make myself call him Father. I knew that was the Holy Spirit holding her back. Jesus says in Matthew 23, call no man father. Ministers are not called father in the New Testament church. When Jesus arose from heaven, he set up the church. Ephesians 4, he gave to the church some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, Some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry for the perfecting of the body of Christ. So, ministers in the New Testament church are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Jesus says, Call no man rabbi, he says, Call no man father, call no man master. That's in Matthew 23. Another woman who had been raised Catholic from childhood had seven children, and she had them attending the Catholic school. She was an Indian woman, American Indian. And on the reservation, they attended the Catholic school. But Margaret wanted them to study the Bible. The Catholic priest told Margaret, people like you don't need to study the Bible, you'll get mixed up. We'll tell you what you need. And Margaret said, no, I want my children to study the Bible. So she enrolled them in the McCurdy Mission School which she felt they taught Bible. And she took the seven children out of the Catholic school and enrolled them in the McCurdy Mission School. The priest was so angry with Margaret. He called her in and said, you must put your children back in the Catholic school. And Margaret said, no, I want them to study the Bible. Once again, he told her people like her didn't need to study the Bible, that they would tell them what they needed to know. Margaret would not remove her children from the McCurdy Mission School. And the Catholic priest said, if you do this, you can, we'll put you out of the church and you can never confess your sins again. She told me this story personally, and she said, I don't know what came over me, but it was like a light going on, and she said to this Catholic priest, I don't have to confess my sins to a man like you. I'll just confess my sins to the Lord. And she said, oh, he got so mad at her. He, she said, they threw me out of the Catholic church and they, now I can't be buried in the Catholic cemetery. But she continued to send her children to the McCurdy Mission School. One of her children, I became best friends with one of her children, who was pretty much Baptist. This is the story of Margaret de Foya. She became one of the great American Indian pottery makers living at San Ildefonso Pueblo. Santa Clara Pueblo, perhaps. It's been a long time. me to try to remember that. When you cling to what you believe to be truth, very often you will be persecuted for the word's sake, to try to steal the word from you. But neither of these two women allowed that word that came to them to be stolen from them. I believe each of them heard from the Holy Spirit. There are many things church people say that are not correct, and we know it, and we're troubled. There are many doctrines in churches which are not according to Bible, that their preachers preach, and they trouble us When we hear them, when we belong to God, the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, and he is the spirit of truth. And when someone says something in a religious context that's not truth, the Holy Spirit is grieved, and we are troubled. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. He lives in us. And he brings to our attention things which are not truth, which are not according to scripture. As a young Christian, I... Attended a prayer group in my neighborhood. A woman named Hilda was said to be a teacher, and she would come from time to time and teach us. I would sit there and listen to her, and I really couldn't understand anything she was talking about. She loved to talk about the building of the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant. And the specific things prescribed for the building of the Ark of the Covenant. And she would talk about there would be blue rings and then there were gold things. And she would say what these meant and the symbolism. And I just sat there hoping it would all come to an end and I could leave. Today, of course, I know she had just conjured these out of her own mind. And many preachers do that. They've got to have something to say, and they try to say something that is clever, that will entice the people. Paul talked about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, Came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There are a lot of those people that come to us as preachers. And they want to talk about the street where Jesus walked when he was on the earth. They want to take you to the tomb of Jesus. This avails you nothing. This has no power in it whatsoever. Paul determined not to know anything like that. He was going to speak of Jesus Christ and him crucified, which is the power of God. Spiritual things. Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. As a demonstration, I was rereading Second Corinthians chapter 13, and I came upon a scripture which just burned through me. I just couldn't quit looking at that verse of Scripture. Paul said, verse 8, For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. I've had so many examples of that in my own life. That I didn't know the exact reason, but I just couldn't go along with it. Like these two Catholic women. We can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. As I thought on that, I thought of how we have the Holy Spirit. We have the anointing from God told us by John in 2 John. That we would know the truth. Jesus said we wouldn't follow strangers. When we belong to him. We would not follow them. Because the sheep know his voice. John 10. We can do nothing against the truth. Because the spirit of truth. Is in us. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 10. God says. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. God would do it directly. I had this happen to me when I was in elementary school. I didn't attend any church, so I couldn't have gotten this doctrine from a church. But one morning, I awoke, and my mother and my aunt were in my room, and they were talking. And they were talking about my dad's first wife. I was shocked, because I didn't know he had a first wife. They said a few words about her, but I was just devastated because I knew divorce was wrong. How did I know that? I'd never heard anyone speak about divorce. God put his laws into my mind and wrote them in my heart. In a small childlike way, I didn't want to see my dad anymore because I knew he did wrong. Of course, that changed rapidly. But the truth was put in my heart at that young age without reading the Bible and without attending church and without ever hearing the doctrine. That's exactly what God said he will do for his people. The new covenant. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. We know about fornication. We know about adultery. The people who commit fornication and adultery know it's wrong because what do they do? They hide. They know it's wrong. Well, we know the truth. After I was born again, I went to a non-denominational church. But I would just sit there and shudder over things that they said. Some of the pastors and also some of the members, they would say things that shocked me. I knew the truth. But I didn't know then that I knew the truth, and so I would just sit there among them thinking I was wrong. What they were speaking was not the truth, and I would be grieved though I didn't even understand that I was grieved. Later, as I had more time in things of God, psalm of scripture, God showed me that these doctrines were not by the Bible. And that was the reason I was grieved. One of the things that grieved me so much, the first church that I went to, they were speaking about something called the rapture. I was embarrassed. Then they explained to me that the church will be taken off the earth by Jesus. And I said to them, well, is that called the rapture? To me, rapture was a very secular, fleshly concept. And they said, yes, it is called that. So I took a Bible and looked. And I looked it up in a concordance and I couldn't find anything at all printed in the Bible that referred to anything called the rapture. See, God had in me the truth. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is something man has made up and has taught. I'd sort of forgotten about that until recently a man from one of the African countries sent me an email and he asked me what I knew about the rapture. And I'd forgotten that they call it the rapture. I first addressed the fact that we shouldn't be calling that the rapture. That's not in the Bible. To some people, it doesn't matter that it's not in the Bible. They think, oh, she's just picky. No, I belong to God is the truth. And the spirit of truth that's in me cannot stand the perversions that they bring through the churches. That's the truth. One of the things in one of the first churches that I went to, they loved to talk about Antichrist and I hadn't heard about that either. And they said Antichrist is one man. And that was in the 1970s at that particular church they said He comes speaking peace, but he devours people and war is in his heart. And I said to them, well, that sounds like Hitler. They said, oh, no, Hitler didn't come speaking peace. (laughs) These women didn't know much about Hitler because one of the primary ways Hitler conquered the various nations is he spoke peace, and he was going to be their protector. So they would move in their army and protect this country. Over and over and over that happened. And the peace agreements at Munich were the main reason that Hitler was able to start World War Two, because Chamberlain, the English prime minister, and the French prime minister agreed to all of the stipulations Hitler put forth. And they announced there would be peace in their time. That was Chamberlain's famous speech, that Herr Hitler had had agreed to peace. When in reality, Hitler came demanding certain things that he thought they would reject, and he was going to go out and use those things as the reason to attack Poland. But they agreed to the things. They agreed to the demands. In Russia in the 1800s, at the time Tolstoy lived, and at the time he wrote War and Peace, he announced in War and Peace that the Russians thought the Antichrist was Napoleon. John very clearly tells us that there are many Antichrists, not just one Antichrist, many. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. All of these speculations about Antichrist and who is Antichrist could be solved by that one scripture, if they taught that there are many antichrist antichrist is simply a falling away from scripture and setting up your own doctrine paul talked about that in at least two places second thessalonians chapter 2 let no man deceive you by any means for that day of the lord shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I can see where a person would think that was one person. But if you will look at this part about this falling away, Jesus could not return for the church until a falling away came in the churches. In 1982, I was reading this passage of scripture, and God said to me, the falling away are not people leaving the church group. The falling away are the churches leaving the scriptures and my eyes were open to see. The Apostle Paul talked about this falling away from the truth of God in Acts chapter 20. Paul had gathered the elders of the church at Ephesus together to talk with them, because he knew the time had come that when he left them, they would never see his face again. And Paul said in verse 29, For I I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them sitting right there in the church at Ephesus at the time Paul was speaking sitting there among the elders there were some just waiting for the opportunity to speak their own doctrines not the doctrines of Christ but what they thought to draw away disciples after themselves to set up another church denomination. All of these denominations, or most of them rather, began right there in the day of Paul and John, when they departed from the real church and went out to set up their own churches. Paul said in Titus chapter 1, verse 10, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, the Jews, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Today we have churches set up which hold back the truth of the Bible from their congregations and set up other doctrines to please people. In Matthew 5, verse 32, Jesus says, the man who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Have you ever heard that preached? I haven't. It would definitely be unpopular with the worldly people who came to their churches. I attended a luncheon at Texas Tech years ago. It was sponsored by the Texas Tech Museum group. They seated me next to a man who was wearing the biggest cross around his neck that I have ever seen he immediately identified himself as the former pastor at Indiana Street Baptist Church. And he said, "We have, Oh, we have such a problem at the church. Well, everybody at the table looked up at him, wanting to know what the problem was. He said, We have built onto the church three times, and we still don't have enough places to seat the people who want to come to church. I said to him, well, if you'll start teaching what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 32, your problem will be solved. Jesus said, but I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. That man's mouth dropped open. I said, if you'll start teaching that, about half of those people that are wanting to come to your church will get up and leave, and you won't have any trouble seating the remaining people. The reason they can't seek the people is they're telling the people what they want to hear. And it's contrary to what Jesus said. Paul, in speaking to the church at Galatia, in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 1 Paul said, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. A divorced woman came across our path about two years ago she said she was a Messianic Jew. She was very excited because she has met a man she wanted to remarry. We gave her the scriptures that, saying that if she should, as a divorced woman, remarry, she would be called an adulteress. And she said to Pam Padgett, I'm a Messianic Jew. We don't go by the Bible. We have our own doctrine. Pam told me this story, and I said, there isn't any doctrine except for the Bible. That's the only doctrine that we can go by. Well, Paul ran into that very thing. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. They're preaching another gospel. They're saying things like, of course you can marry the divorced woman. Of course as a divorced woman you can remarry. God wants you to be happy. God has forgiven you. You're saved through the blood of Jesus. And the real problem with this It's partial truth. They're teaching that there is no, we don't go by the law anymore. You're free from the law. We don't go by the law. But the truth is, we don't go by the law of Moses, which was the sacrifice of animals for our sins. After Jesus, the law of Moses is no longer used because Jesus paid for our sins. But they are twisting it so badly that they approve the divorced woman remarrying when Paul said two specific scriptures in 1 Corinthians 7 which show us that if she does remarry, she will become an adulteress. In Romans chapter 7, says the same thing. He uses the word law in the scripture. And they're preaching that we don't go by the law anymore. So, here they have a way to throw these scriptures out. But, at the day of judgment, everyone will be judged by these scriptures. 1 Corinthians Chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. Paul says this is a commandment of the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. In verse 39, Paul says, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. In Romans chapter 7, verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, For I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth? For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. And today preachers in New Testament churches are often preaching that we don't go by the law. And I have read to you three scriptures saying we do go by the law. We go by the New Testament law of God. We do not go by the Old Testament law of Moses. Twisting the word of God to suit themselves and to cause it to be popular in their churches so that people will come to their churches. And feel approved in the sins that they are committing. That's what's happening in the churches today. If you belong to God and you have the Spirit of God in you, they're going to say and do things that trouble you when they are not according to the gospel of Christ. Back to Galatians chapter 1. I marvel that you are so often removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So Paul says, if the divorced woman remarries, she shall be called an adulteress. They come along and they say, no, God wants you to be happy. It's all right if you divorce and remarry. That is not the gospel of Christ. That's another gospel. They're preaching another Jesus, another word, to their congregations. Then Paul says in verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Second John chapter two start at verse twenty six. John says, These things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth. You of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, Ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. A man came to me recently calling himself a Reverend. Immediately I said, Oh, you should not call yourself a Reverend. No man in the Bible called himself Reverend. Holy and Reverend is God's name. They the only reference to Reverend in the Bible is the scripture in Psalm 111, which says, Holy and reverend is God's name. The ministers, when the Bible was written, did not call themselves reverend, not once. Paul identified himself as an apostle and teacher. Peter identified himself as an apostle and elder. No one called himself reverend. The pattern that we have for the New Testament church, for the setting up of the church today, is the New Testament Bible. It shows us what to do and what not to do. Later, I was thinking about this man calling himself reverend. And he said, well, at Bible college, they tell us after we finish Bible college, we can call ourselves reverend. And God said to me, you didn't allow them to call you reverend. And I thought about it, and and I didn't. The first time anybody tried this with me, it was in 1980. I had been put on radio by God to exhort the church. A radio audience listener came to me, and she said, what do we call you, reverend? I said, oh, no. I was shocked. It's the first time the subject had ever come up. I said, oh, no, don't call me that. You call me Joan, just like you call Paul, Paul. God told me this. He said, you didn't let them call you, Reverend. And I thought, no, I didn't. And why didn't I? Because in me is the spirit of truth. In that man who contacted me, who said he's a pastor, and then called himself reverend, he's operating by the spirit of men, by another spirit, by his Bible college. He is not operating by the Holy Spirit of truth. And for that reason, they call themselves reverend. And they love to do it. You can idolize them, and you idolize them by saying, Oh, the Reverend told us such a good sermon this week. I wish you could have heard it. And they praise their ministers. A woman did that to me one time. She came to me and said, Oh, pastor spoke the most wonderful sermon today. And she said, I couldn't understand a word he said that is not a wonderful sermon. If the trumpet sounds an unclear voice, how will you know the meaning, says Paul, of what to do? There's such a big cloud of fantasy around the churches today. People worshipping their churches, people worshipping their ministers people throwing scriptures out to please other people it's all antichrist there are many antichrist not just one antichrist many one of the things that troubled me the greatest when i would attend church is when they would pass around the room the communion trays of grape juice and crackers calling it the Lord's Supper. I had been taught in a church group that I attended that you must examine yourself before you partook of this grape juice and cracker to see if you were worthy. That scripture they're going by there is in 1 Corinthians 11, but it was being mistaught. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27-28, we read, Whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. What Paul is saying is this. Let a man examine himself by the word of God. And as he eats and drinks the word of God, examine yourself. For he that eateth and drinketh the word of God unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many die. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So as you read the Bible, examine yourself by what the Scriptures say. Correct your way. Make changes. Judge yourself as you read the Bible. The Lord's Supper is not eating and drinking of grape juice, and eating crackers. The Lord's Supper is eating and drinking the word of God. The bread that he gave was himself as he died for the church. In one passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, we read, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me, as oft as ye drink the New Testament. But men came along, and with fleshly eyes set up what they call today the Lord's Supper, and in hundreds of millions of places. They're eating crackers and drinking grape juice, thinking it has a power. You are no better off if you eat it, and you're no worse off if you don't. There is no power. The power is in the Word of God. And when you partake of the message of the Word of God correctly, then there's the power. We commune with God through prayer and through the Bible. The Bible is the Lord's Supper. The Word of God is the Lord's Supper. And we have living in us the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, to show us truth. Now in closing, John chapter 10, because Jesus says, we who have the Spirit of God we won't follow strange voices. Look at verses 4 and 5. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. When you have the Spirit of God in you and you attend church and someone says something that troubles you, that's exactly what it's pertaining to. We don't follow the voice of strangers. We check the Bible to see if what they are saying is so. We do not follow voices that trouble us. Jesus says, I am the door. I, the word, am the door. If by me, by the word, any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Basically, no man and no thing can remove us from God. It's what Jesus said. When we are following Him, when we continue in His Word. So we know the truth, and a stranger we will not follow. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you today.